wonder-working stars in the precious... Incredible as they seem, are not the results of mass hysteria. <laughs> You may wish to adjust the dial. You are currently tuned into the wrong station. I had to admit, Clara looked fantastic. It had been over a year since we'd seen each other. We'd been doing that standard Toronto thing. Messaging every few months, agreeing to get drinks, and never quite getting around to it. But this last time Clara had messaged, she'd been way more organized. Are you free on this day, between this and this time, at this location? Well, sure Clara, just as long as I don't have to plan anything. This and this time at this location happened to be Sunday morning at a very zhuzh downtown brunch spot called Clean. Everything inside was spotless white, including the clientele, and the little round tables were topped by a fiscally responsible imitation marble. I was the only one there who looked like they lived in a basement, which I did, and the only one wearing black. The other patrons, fit and tanned, mostly wore crisp white chinos and pastel button-downs, though some mavericks paired a crisp white button-down with pastel chinos. Maybe it was my own insecurity, but when I staggered in, eight minutes late and slightly sweaty, it seemed like everybody turned to give me the full up-and-down before assuming expressions of pity and returning to their meals. Fortunately, Clara was waiting at the far-end window seat, I rushed over, apologizing for my lateness. Don't worry about it, she said, but her tone let me know that my lateness had been noted. Lateness wouldn't have bothered the old Clara, who was always running on Toronto time. But in the years since I'd seen her, she had changed. Gone were thrift store sweaters. Now her blouse was blinding white, her blazer the color of limestone. She was wearing heels to brunch. Not only that, but heels the color of freshly whitened teeth. You look like the villain in a science fiction movie, I said. She laughed. I guess that's a compliment? No, truly. You look fantastic. By comparison, I felt like I'd rolled out of an army cot at the dump. Well, she said, with tanned modesty, I have been taking good care of myself lately. She flagged down the server and ordered us vegan eggs benedict and sparkling water. These were the only items on the menu. So seriously, I asked when the food arrived, what's your secret? <laughs> secret? I told you, I've just been taking better care of myself. Bitch, come on, it's me. This earned scandalized looks from the next table. Don't hold out. How do you do it? You're a completely different Clara. 
Well, she brushed aside a tress of shampoo commercial hair. If you really want to know, there's an app I've been using. An app? Yeah, this productivity app called Dastra. Honestly, it's really helped me get my life together. I've stopped wasting so much time. So now I can get to the gym, take extra projects at work, cook healthy meals, the whole deal. Must be nice. I'd meant to sound ironic, but I could feel the envy in my own voice dripping. Alkaline envy. It did sound nice. It sounded like just about the nicest thing in the whole world. Well, she acted like she couldn't feel the desperation rising from me like heat from a compost pile. If you like, I could get you a free trial. I tried to scoff. Only if you want to. Here's how desperate I was to get my hands on this app. I didn't even wait till I was home. I downloaded that shit with data in the back corner of the Dufferin bus. Dastra's layout was pleasing, minimalist, optimized. Welcome to Dastra, it told me as I huddled in the back corner of the Dufferin bus. Let's get you organized. I hit next. Dastra helps you do the things you want to do by nudging you in the right direction. Sound good? I hit yes. My phone told me Dastra would like to access X, Y, Z. I hit allow, allow, allow. Another notification. Allow Dastra to access your other devices. This one creeped me out a little. So I hit do not allow. Badoop! A notification from Dastra. Uh-oh. In order to do our job, Dastra needs to be where your distractions are. Our research shows Dastra only works if you use it on all your devices. Allow Dastra to access other devices? I chewed my lip. I still didn't like the idea, but what was the use? Data privacy was dead anyway. I hit allow on the following stream of notifications. Great, you're all set up. Now, let's get you productive. On the word productive, my phone made a little chiming sound. The sound made my brain feel nice. Half an hour later, I was home, and Dastra had already built me a personal goals portfolio, interfacing with calendar, email, messenger app, and social media to assemble a comprehensive schedule. This schedule was daunting. Almost every minute of my week was budgeted. Now and then, a little box marked leisure would appear. But when I tapped it, a list of recommended activities popped up. Things like exercise, meal prep, lift shift, portfolio building. Well, maybe I could build up to that level of productivity over the course of a few weeks. But for the moment, I was tired and a little demoralized that Clara was beating me at life. I threw myself down on the couch and put on an episode of a show I'd seen before. It was five seconds until my next notification. Badoop! Up next, gym. Leave in 15 minutes. The notification included a little map to the gym I'd bought a membership for in January and never used. Whatever. I hit clear and lay back down. Badoop! Another new notification. Dastra rewards. Complete goals to earn points. Redeem points for free stuff. Badoop! Special welcome offer. Complete your first task today and earn an extra 1,000 points. I clicked the link and it took me to the rewards page. 1,000 points was about 30 bucks worth of stuff. And it looked like you could redeem the points pretty much anywhere. 
I clicked my tongue. Laziness at war with greed. Badoop! Up next, Jim. Leave in ten minutes. The persistence wore me down. I groaned and rolled off the sofa. By that evening, I had been to the gym, done laundry, cooked dinner, and cleaned the kitchen, completing enough tasks to regain most of the points I'd spent on my $7 post-workout smoothie. I decided I liked this little system. It felt like a racket, like I was getting paid to do the things I was supposed to do anyway. And there were some big-ticket items on the rewards page, too. Electronics, appliances, even those heels Clara had been wearing— The ones like freshly whitened teeth. They were expensive, but if you used points... Badoop! Up next, bedtime, five minutes. I told the app, you got it, boss, and slammed my laptop shut. A few weeks later, my boss pulled me aside at work. I have to say, we've been really impressed by your new attitude. Oh, thanks, Matt. You've been taking initiative, showing leadership... Your new wardrobe is very professional. I just want you to know people are taking notice, and it bodes very well for your future prospects here. Maybe it seems silly, but I was delighted by the attention. I wasn't exactly used to positive feedback at the office. I'm really happy to hear that, Matt. Anything more I can do? Just um, let me know. Well, do you mind if I ask what changed? I mean, up until a few weeks ago, well, I don't want to be rude, but not at all. I feel like a completely different person. I'm organized, energized. I feel in control of my life for the first time, and it feels amazing. I'd been waiting for someone to ask that question for weeks. My own enthusiasm surprised me. It's all because of this productivity app, Dastra. It sounds dumb, but it helped me turn my life around. Actually, my friend Clara just started working there. She could get a promo code if you were interested. Four weeks later, Dastra was installed on all our company devices. I'm really excited to introduce this service into our workflow, said Matt at the meeting where he announced our new partnership with Dastra. I'm going to increase office productivity by a crazy margin. And since you can use it outside of work as well, it's a big value add for our employees. A hand shot up. Jenna, from the art department. What if we don't want to use Dastra? Matt looked genuinely confused. You understand it's free, right? That the company is paying to give you a Dastra subscription? Yeah, but what if we don't want it? Matt glanced over at Lorna from HR. Had there been some miscommunication? It was free. Dastra is the best productivity app on the market, he said. It's a free subscription. Of course, you don't have to use it. He left unsaid the words, but you also don't have to breathe the company air. So just to be clear, we don't have to use Dastra then, said Jenna. Now Matt was annoyed. Well, yes, you do on your work computer and work phone. But my work phone is also my personal phone. If you're using it as a work phone, then yes, you need to enable Dastra. Okay, but isn't that a violation of my privacy? Somebody groaned. Matt glanced up at the fluorescence. Much as I am sure you have personal secrets to protect, he said, the company has every right to make certain demands about your work phone. If it bothers you so much, get a second phone. I can't afford one. 
Well, then I don't know how to help you, Jenna. Figure it out. Then there was an awkward pause. Jenna had gone pale, and there was a muscle working in her jaw, but nobody spoke up for her. Casting about for a trump card, Matt's gaze fell on me. You were the one who first clued me in on Dastra. Why don't you tell us all how it worked for you? Everybody turned to look at me, and I was suddenly very aware of something I hadn't noticed before. That I no longer dressed like the people I worked with. In my white shirt, gray slacks, and limestone-colored jacket, I was dressed like the people I worked for. Um, yeah, I said. A friend put me onto it. It's really helped me out. Like a lot. See, said Matt, this is a lot of fuss over nothing. The company didn't force Dastra on her. She chose it, and now she's taking control of her life. Promotion, new apartment, the whole deal. Right? Um, yeah. So, said Matt, just think what Dastra can do for all of you. Meeting dismissed. As he turned to go, Matt caught my eye and mouthed the words, Thank you. Jenna, though we'd always gotten along, wouldn't even look at me. But in spite of complaints from a small number of staff, Dastra was an immediate success. Office productivity went through the roof, and there were other intangible changes. The listless atmosphere that had always hung over the office dissipated. People started showing up early, energized from an hour's cardio. The office wardrobe changed from grays and navy blacks to white, pastels, and limestone. The whiff of pot smoke vanished from the fire escape. The reek of break room coffee changed to earthy yerba mate. By the end of summer, we were the highest performing office in the country, and the company was expanding its Dastra partnership nationwide. Matt called a meeting in early September. Although it was gray outside, the atmosphere within was warm and active. Hey everybody, I've got an early holiday present for you. He was standing among the pile of cardboard crates which had been delivered to the break room that morning. I guess the folks at Dastra are pretty pleased with us because they've sent us something you're gonna love. He cracked one of the crates, revealing it was full of small white boxes, each the size of a cigarette pack. Winking, he tossed me the first one. Dastra's new wearable tech, he said. The Dastra Band. It's not in retail for another month, but I was looking online and it seems like they go for about 600 bucks. A murmur went up and everybody crowded close to get theirs. Each box contained a thick bracelet, white as freshly whitened teeth. Think of a heavy watch band of waxy white ceramic. The outer links were very small and crimped over each other like the folded legs of some scuttling creature. Since the band didn't have a watch face, the whole piece looked like some sort of art deco centipede. I slid mine on and was startled when the links lit up spelling my name in crisp white light. A voice spoke from over my shoulder. That's really fucked up. It was Jenna, her face scrunched in disgust. What's fucked up, I said, a little defensive. That it knows who you are. That there's some sort of biometric data they got somewhere that lets them identify you. It's so dark. Well, of course she thought that. I thought it was convenient. And in another convenience, the bracelet adjusted itself to my wrist with a subtle scuttle of its legs. My name faded, replaced by white letters asking, sync with phone? I hit allow, and the band chimed, 
and the sound made my brain feel very good. At the same moment, the band vibrated, a pleasing rumble, almost as if it were purring with contentment. The purr made my brain feel very, very good. Yeah, said Jenna. Not a chance I'm wearing one of those. And quite abruptly, I found that I'd had enough of her bullshit. Jenna, can you give it a fucking rest? She took a step back, startled by this sudden outburst. A couple of people turned to look. I'm sorry, I... No, I'm done with this played-out adbusters shit, Jenna. This isn't undergrad. This is a workplace. We're here to be productive. If you want to play Naomi Klein, then fine. That's your right. Just stop making it my problem, okay? Silence. Everyone was looking. The air filled with the scuttle of adjusting bracelets. Jenna's shock ripened to anger, but before she could snap at me, Matt's voice cut through. Jenna, could I have a word in my office, please? And that was that, I guess. Maybe Matt had been looking for an excuse to fire her. Maybe they just argued and she quit. But either way, Jenna's desk was empty by the end of the day. I met Clara for a run at 5.45 a.m. the following Sunday. It was the only unscheduled time either of us had. When I arrived at the park, she was already there doing jump lunges. I had to admit, she looked incredible. Clara had always tended toward waifishness, even wispiness, but now she looked strong. Her workout clothes were stretched tight around firm muscle, and her forearms were corded with veins like laptop cables. She couldn't have been anywhere near this big the last time I saw her. At 5'8", she must have been pushing 180 pounds. Hey, you, she called. She wasn't even breathing hard. Hey, how long have you been here? Oh, not long. 40, 45 minutes? I felt sick, sinking envy in my chest. I'd been half expecting to wow Clara with how much progress I'd made. But now I found she was just as far ahead of me as she'd always been. She was on another level entirely. Wow, <laughs> I said, hating the awkward little laugh. How early are you going to bed these days? About midnight. You know, the top 5% of Dastro users sleep less than four hours. And I was reading somewhere you can train yourself to go on two. Two? She winked. Whoever said there aren't enough hours in the day just wasn't looking hard enough. Should we run? Without waiting for an answer, she took off at an easy lope, absorbing each long stride through thick hamstrings, glutes, and thighs. I kept up as best I could, but even though I'd been at the gym six days a week, I found it hard to match her superhuman pace. How's work? She asked. And I told her about Jenna, how awkward I felt about the whole thing, how I hadn't meant to lash out at her, and how I felt awful about getting her fired. We were friends for a long time, you know, I said. We always saw eye to eye, same clothes, same music, but then Clara jumped in. Then you got your life together and she didn't. I noticed for the first time that Clara was also wearing a Dastra band. Hers looked like a next-gen version, sleeker, slimmer, triple-coiled, it didn't bounce on her wrist. In the early light, it sort of looked like the little centipede legs had purchase in her flesh. Sounds to me like you didn't do anything wrong, Clara continued, 
Sometimes you have to cut toxic people out of your life. It hurts, but just because it hurts doesn't mean it's not productive. I guess. Clara's route had taken us through Young and Dundas Square, where wrecked pigeons on the wing and the hunched figure of a grubby man made black silhouettes against the searing billboards. White billboards, advertising H&M, Virgin, and the Dastra Band. You'll see, she said. Scientifically, you're better off without her. And if you don't believe me, I can show you the rankings. Rankings? But I already suspected I knew what rankings she was talking about. Dastra's rankings, she confirmed. The app gives us an internal ranking of every user based on a few hundred measures of productivity. Trust me, you're moving up. You may feel bad right now, but you're literally a better person than you were two weeks ago. This should have been news to me, but on some level, I think I had always known there was a ranking somewhere. That on some level, it was all a competition. I quickened my pace. Clara easily quickened hers to match. I hated her easy stride, her casual strength. I wanted them. I was tired of being behind. I wanted to catch up. What's your ranking? I asked through ragged breath. Hi, she said, her modest smile hiding fierce pride. It's how I ended up working for Dastra. They draft people based on rank. It's the world's first true meritocracy. By now, my heart was pounding and a stitch burned in my side, but I refused to slow down. No pain, no gain. Clara, I'm going to get a job at Dastra. She laughed at this. She still wasn't really breathing hard. Well, hun, you're going to have to stop sleeping in so late. After that, things really began to pick up. By a few weeks later, the team was working 10-hour days most weeks, and those of us who took it seriously worked 13, 15, eventually 18-hour shifts. Most days, I still found time to fit in three-hour-long workouts, too. I started gaining mass. I felt like I could jump over a car and rip the door off a truck. I wasn't as big as Clara, but I was getting there. My face changed before me in the mirror turning to planes and angles so fast that I no longer knew the dreamy, not-quite-me in my reflection. All the fat, the softness, drained out of me. My eyes were harder. My traps widened like a cobra's hood. Maybe it felt so surreal because I was under four hours of sleep a night. But it felt like I was killing it. The competition became fierce. Week by week, our team bled members as people realized they couldn't hack the harsher pace, or as the company made them redundant. The money was good, but I was so productive that now I could almost live off Dastra rewards. I bought those bright white shoes, then left them to molder in the closet. Heels were cute, but they weren't optimized. My coworkers were having similar thoughts, and as the autumn wore on and the trees all died, our office uniform changed from slacks and limestone jackets to blinding white athleisure. Those few of us who now remained were sharks. Thanks to Dastra, each of us had honed ourselves hard and sharp. And though we were becoming more and more alike, there was no love lost between us. Work was zero sum and life was work. And so each of us was a threat to the rest. I ran into Jenna in the depths of winter. 
the morning it all came to a head. I was out running. Three or four a.m.? I wasn't sure exactly which. More and more often I was slipping into a kind of fugue when I worked. Or worked out. And my time had developed a habit of slipping away into the purring hum of the band around my wrist. I came upon her suddenly at the white-lit corner of an all-but-empty street. She was walking with another girl, both pale and swaying, hand-in-hand together down the road. I realized they were drunk. And then, with a sudden shock, I realized that it was New Year's Eve. Hey, she called. I stopped, breathing lightly, to hear what she had to say. I'm not mad at you, you know, she drawled. Not anymore. The other girl tried to pull her away. Okay, I said. I realized I didn't have much else to say. About anything. It had been a long time since I'd talked anything other than shop. I was, for a long time, she said. Mad at you. But now I see it's not just you. You're not the only one. She waved her hand, and I followed the gesture to the office towers blazing all around us, white against the beige darkness of Toronto winter skies. None unlit, all lights burning bright in every office. Even at the bottom of the clock, the very bottom of the year. I, ha- I have to get going, I said. I'm in early and I've got some things to take care of before I clock in. She smiled at me, sad and scornful. Well, take care of yourself then. She put a hand on my shoulder as she passed. Her touch lingered just a moment longer than it could. I turned the corner. For a long minute, I just stood there, wrestling with some sense of discontent I didn't really understand. And then my wristband chimed, keep your heart rate up. And so I ran speeding up as if I could out-sprint the strange feeling in my chest, stopping only to collect a few things from my hollow apartment. I arrived at work, cold and drenched with frozen sweat, long before the sky showed any hint of dawn. When the elevator doors chimed shut behind me, I found the office empty. Once this floor had been crowded with chairs and cubicles and human beings, now all that space was blank and white. Only a few standing desks remained, each in its far-flung corner. Nurse sharks eat each other in the womb. Out of a hundred pups, only four or five are born. That's what the office felt like now. A once full, empty womb. Before I reached my desk, a crash came from the men's washroom. I stopped. Only Matt and Josh used that room now. The only men left. Once I could have been frightened by such a sound late at night, but by then I was so strong that few things scared me anymore, only failure or falling behind. And so, sneakers squeaking on the vinyl, I went to the men's room door. Beyond it, someone was grunting, hissing through their teeth. I let the door swing wide. Inside, the room was white, laminate, lights and mirrors, smelling faintly of bleach and stepped-in piss. Matt, my boss, was standing at the bathroom counter, 
leaning over a white ceramic sink. There was blood everywhere, harsh red under harsh white light, leaving thick pools on the floor like spilt burgundy. He was struggling with something in the sink, but his body blocked my line of sight. Matt, what are you doing? He glanced up for a moment, and the reflection of his wild eyes met mine in the glass. His hair was lank, his brow crowned with beads of sweat. Just <clears throat> hurting myself. As he spoke, something gave with a snap, and fresh blood spurted in the sink. He turned pale as plaster, but the band at his wrist chimed and purred, and at the sound, both of us felt a pleasant ripple across the surface of our brains. His color returned somewhat, and he bent back to his task. I stepped forward to see what he was doing, horrified but also intrigued. You understand? If he was doing something so extreme, it must be because there was some profit in it. And if there was, then I had to know. He had a set of small brass-plated tools, jeweler's tools maybe, small picks and pliers, screwdrivers, tweezers and the like, and with these devices, he had opened up the back of his hand and was deliberately, agonizingly peeling it apart. Skin from fascia, flesh from tendon, myelination from nerve. It was like an anatomy class video, except for that it all bled so much, he had to use entire rolls of paper towel, except for the way his own flesh seemed to resist but still he forced his way through the pain. In curiosity more than judgment, I asked him, why? Because it's productive to increase productivity. And it increases productivity to disincentivize laziness. Another wet snap and splash in the basin. At this point, I had to look away. The copper smell upon the air was much too strong. His wristband chimed and buzzed, and Matt took a moment to catch his breath. When I dared look back, his eyes caught mine in the mirror, sharp, with terrible clarity and purpose. It's work, beyond work, he said. A kind of meta-work. Productivity on a higher level. Do you understand? I shook my head, but in truth, I did. I did understand. It made a compelling kind of sense. And to the extent that it didn't, I still didn't want to risk missing out. Confused and shaken, I shook my head again and turned to go. Matt's harsh laughter followed me across the office floor. I knew you couldn't hack it, he called. I knew you weren't good enough. I left, letting the office door slam behind me cutting off his cries and moans. Heart pumping, I sat down in the stairwell, not sure how to handle what I'd seen. I needed to talk to someone, to help me understand what I was feeling and what I was supposed to feel. Only at that moment, I realized I didn't really have friends any longer. It had been almost a year since I'd spoken to the friends I used to have. I'd become self-sufficient and alone. Clara. Clara was who I had left. It was 5.15 a.m., New Year's Day. I knew she'd be at the office. She answered on the second ring. 
Yeah, what is it? She sounded busy. I'm sorry, I'm just a a little, uh, can I talk to you? I mean in person. Can I come where you are? She hesitated. Is it urgent? I'm a little busy today. Could we set a time for next weekend? It's, yeah, yeah, it's urgent. This was greeted by several seconds of dead air. Clara? Yeah, I'm here. Why, why do you come down to the office? Dastra's office? I didn't even know where that was. Dastra kept such a tight leash on any information about itself. I didn't even know the name of the founder or CEO. Sometimes it seemed like no one did. She gave me the address, and when I hung up, the silence was horrid in that concrete steel stairwell. I hurried downstairs, and each time I passed an office door, each open, each blazing with white fluorescent light, the sound of grunting, wet carving, labored breath poured forth. Outside it was bitter cold, but Dastra had already called me a cab. It was efficient at things like that. A few minutes later, I was under glass in the financial district, just a block from the abandoned shell of a restaurant once called Clean. Above me, a tower rose white into the light-polluted sky, each level blazing, blinding bright. Inside the lobby, each item on the floor directory read the same. First floor, Dastra. Second floor, Dastra. 67th floor, Dastra. The front desk guard let me walk right past. He was busy doing push-ups underneath the kiosk, slow, grinding reps with gritted teeth and blood bulging dark through the veins of his head and hands. Don't worry about him, came Clara's voice. I can take you up. I turned to find her waiting by the elevators. She looked unbelievable. She had shrunk right down to bones and vessels. Her eyes were bright disks in the hollows of her face. It looked like she was losing teeth. Clara, my God, you look... She cut me off. Thanks. I've been working on myself just a bit, she said. Again, that false modesty, the fierce and secret pride unchanged. Come on up. I'll show you around. We rode the elevator in silence. Now and then, the doors opened on a different floor, and the smell of copper would wash over us. Every floor was the same, an endless expanse of bone-white standing desks, and the people hunching over them, working at themselves, driven by the rumble of the centipedes around their wrists. And then the elevator doors would close, and Clara and I would soar upward with a hum. I noticed Clara's wristband had been replaced. Gone was the triple-coiled version, now she wore a next-next-gen iteration of the same device, this one like a white bone lattice halfway up her arm. There was no denying this time that its limbs sank into her flesh. Once again, I had failed to catch up. Once again, she was on another level. The elevator pinged. The doors hushed open at the topmost level. This is where I work, Clara said and I could tell from the sour scent on the air that the people who worked there seldom left to even bathe or shower. Past the empty atrium, we arrived in an open space, and even though Clara led on, I stopped at its edge and stared. 
There were no desks, no tables, only a bare white area with white floors and lights and white dropped ceilings. In its midst, a group of people were held up from below by thick white cables. All were in constant motion, jerking their heads back and forth, fingers twitching as they worked at unseen displays. The movement sent them rocking faintly on the cables that lifted them, so that they seemed like a grove of strange trees in a fresh wind. Their movement might almost have been soothing if they weren't so awful to look at. For each of them was dressed in white, and the thick white cables entered them at the eyes and ears and mouth and anus, so that each one seemed like a marionette assembled wrong, their eyes blind, ears deaf, mouths distended by the cords into one shared, perpetual, soundless scream. As I looked on in trembling silence, a runny drip of feces mixed with blood ran down the hindmost cords of the man closest to me. But this daunted Clara not a moment. She bent to the floor, swooping up a bottle of bleach and a roll of paper towel in a single motion. Then, lovingly, she cleaned the cord and glanced back to smile at me. These are my colleagues, she said. I wish I knew their names, but they were all like this at the time I met them. There were extra sets of cords in the room, and with a sad inevitability, I realized that one of them belonged to Clara. It was where she'd been hanging when I called. Who... who did all this to you? She looked confused. What do you mean? I mean, is Dastra... is Dastra doing this? Is it aware? Is it the one making you and all of them on the floors below and the people at my office? Is Dastra doing it to you? Or who? Or what? And why? She looked at me with pitying surprise. Honey, she said, nobody's making anyone do anything at all. This is just the way things are. You do what you can to get ahead. She threw out a gesture at the penthouse floor around us, at the wide, dark cityscape beyond the windows, our position above the endless, glowing, gleaming buildings. And we're ahead. Don't you want to be anymore? I didn't know what to say. Ahead of what? What could this be ahead of? She laughed at me. And though it was still a kindly, pitying laugh, an undertone of scorn had crept in. Ahead of you, for one, and everyone else. Do you have any idea how much revenue is generated in this room? What percentage of the North American economy is now funneled through these cords? This is it, right here. The peak of the heap, the holy of holies. These are the top individuals of the human race, so maybe show a little veneration, no? But Clara, this is wrong. It's sick. No, darling, it's the furthest thing from sick. This is peak performance. This is your best life. The only choice is, will you live it? There's a seat here at the table. And indeed, there were extra cords beside her equal to her, 
finally on the same and final level, just as I'd hungered for for so long. No, I said. My refusal hung on the air between us. I think she was a little shocked. I think she so believed in what she'd chosen as her life that it seemed almost unreal that someone would refuse it. But in the end, she shook her head and laughed again and climbed back up into her tangle of wires and cords. Fair enough, she said. It's your own choice. But we're changing the world, whether you're part of it or not. At this, she widened her eyes and stuck out her tongue, welcoming the copper prongs that disgorged themselves from those thick white cords, entering her eyes and nose and other parts with a sound that doesn't bear describing. I turned and walked away. Only a few moments of silent rush brought me down 67 stories to the broken city floor. It was daylight now. A gray, cold New Year's morning, and the streets were empty. I trudged by myself until I came to Dundas Square. There, the dead pigeons whirled, leaving dark silhouettes against the blinding, giant Dastra ads. I sat on the cold, gray, concrete steps and wondered what to do. This week's episode, Productivity, was written by Alexander Saxton and performed by Margaret Rose. The Wrong Station is made possible with the generous support of our listeners on Patreon. Thank you to Brian Beerling, Megan Nice, and Noah Kaplan for helping us keep the lights, well, up. You can also support us by leaving a rating and review on iTunes, or wherever it is you listen to The Wrong Station. The Wrong Station is co-produced by Alexander Saxton, Anthony Botello, and Jacob Duarte Spiel, with music composed and performed on the piano by Elan Citrin, and arranged for the viola and performed by Viola Schmidt. You can follow The Wrong Station on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and email us at therongstation at gmail.com. And until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>